Welcome to the second episode of Front End Happy Hour, the podcast where over drinks we discuss all things front end development. For this week's episode, we're recording on site at Netflix with a special guest, Ben Lesh, who's here to talk to us about RxJS, and he's actually here tonight at Netflix talking to a large group for a meetup. Each episode, we choose a keyword that, if it's mentioned, we will take a drink to that keyword. Last episode, we kind of missed a few, but we'll try and get a little better at this for this uh, episode. If we do miss any, call us out on Twitter. We're happy to hear it at FrontEndHH. Before we dive into today's topic, let's go around the table and introduce each one of our panelists. Give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do. Brian, you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, I'm Brian Holt, and I'm presently a, a senior UI engineer at Netflix. I'm Ryan Aklum. I am also a UI engineer at Netflix. And also, uh, one thing I think Ryan forgot to point out in the introduction is if you do call us out on Twitter, we do have stickers, and we will send some to people who call us out and get the number right. Good call. That's a good idea. I'm Jim Young. I'm also a senior UI engineer at Netflix. Uh, I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a UI engineering manager at Netflix. And thought I'd introduce our guest, Ben Lesh. You want to give us a little intro about yourself? Oh, sure. I, well, I'm also... Wow! <laughs> um, I'm also the project lead on uh, RxJS 5, which is a redevelopment of RxJS that we did here at Netflix. So I guess we need to decide what today's keyword is that we're going to take drinks to. What did we decide today? Async. Async and drink? Async and drink. Right on. That sounds good. So let's kick off today's topic and kind of dive into uh, RxJS. How did you first get involved with Rx? First got involved with Rx really when I started here at Netflix. Um, my hiring manager at the time said, oh, you, do you know anything about Rx? We use this a lot at Netflix. Uh, you should learn this. And I said, okay. And I went and looked at it. And uh, my honest thought the first time I saw Rx was, what the hell is this, another Lodash? <laughs> like, why do I need another Lodash? <laughs> It was being used in our project. We had this Ember project. It's a pretty big app um, that does like real-time visualizations of like the Netflix cloud. And it really wasn't being used for anything other than we're getting some streaming data out of a WebSocket. And then it was kind of splitting it into a bunch of subjects. And that was kind of the end of Rx for that app. Like it didn't, it wasn't really using it to its full potential. We started running into some serious performance issues because everything that was happening after that, it was kind of taking these large arrays of, of data that were coming over the WebSocket and just dropping it. And then we had all this uh, kind of functional programming uh, array manipulation after that where we would like map and then map it again and filter it and reduce it over here and map it over here somewhere else. And it was creating all these intermediary arrays that had to be garbage collected. And it was happening so often from the streaming data the garbage collection was actually killing the performance of the app. Wow. As crazy as that, that, that sounds. That is crazy. Um, it was, I've never seen anything like that before. And that's what made me start investigating RX more. And I thought, well, I could use RX more like a transducer in this way, where I, I actually, as the um, results come in, I process each one, of, each one of the records individually and kind of bring them close to the front. So kind of connecting a wire from where I'm getting them from the WebSocket all the way up to the UI, right to the, the components that are that are dealing with the data, as opposed to, you know, dropping it in some big stack array and then manipulating that and so on. And, you know, it, it solved our performance issues uh, in that particular case. So that's that's how I really got started with RxJS as a user. 
as a developer of it, uh, I originally, I had some interest in trying to figure out some sort of interop spec for different observable types for like, you know, bacon and pepper and most of these other things. And, um, I was pulled aside by some folks from the Reactive X community, namely Jaffer Hussein and, and, uh, Ben Christensen, who was here at the time, did not Facebook and Eric Meyer. And they're like, Oh, are you interested in developing this, uh, developing, like trying to redevelop observable to be a little bit faster and kind of compliant with this ES observable spec that's now at stage one that Jopper is, uh, one of the people championing that for the TC39. Of course, I'm like, yeah, that's great. I, well, I was a little bit like, why me? Like, why, why choose me? But, um, it had to do with the, the fact that I had a lot of interest in the area. So that's, uh, that's my origin story as far as working on RxJS. Awesome. How much of your time actually, like, since that's not your full-time job at Netflix, but you are working on Rx, like, how much time is spent actually working on Rx.js? Uh, a lot. A yeah. lot. There, I would say that there are some weeks, you know, here at Netflix where it was maybe 50% of what I was working on. There was maybe even a couple of weeks where it was almost 100% of what I was working on here. Yeah, Netflix uh, is, has really allowed me to pursue it, partially because, um, you know, it benefits all of Netflix if we make a faster version of RX, um, but also uh, partially because of the, the freedom that we have here to work on projects like that. So it, it really depends on, depending mostly on what my deliverables were for my team and how, you know, how urgent those things were. You know, there's, all, there's always a little uh, bit of downtime here and there, no matter where you work. Uh, and during those downtime periods, I usually just work really hard on Rx. So. That's cool. I think before we get any deeper, we should probably explain to everyone what Rx is and we can actually uh, yeah. describe Rx and what it is and what problems it solves. Yeah, what are the benefits of using Rx? Uh, well, I already said, what is this another Lodash? So that, sure. <laughs> that, so what makes it different yeah, than Lodash? So it's, it's, it's Lodash for async. That's... Cheers. That's really the, the, what it boils down to. Uh, it's all about a type called observable. Uh, and observable is uh, a set type that gives you a set of values over time. So it, it asynchronously gives you these values. And uh, does that count? Is that, that an yeah, we're gonna count think it. It's close count. enough, yes. <laughs> And, um, you know, we ever thought about the downside of having a guest here. You can just destroy us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like he can literally just sit there and say this over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I really think. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the, the basics of it. And so since you have a set, um, like any other set, you have all of these different combinators or operators that you can use over it, like map, filter, reduce. Uh, zip and that sort of thing. So it really that is shaped a lot like a low dash, but it's again a low dash for um, events or asynchronous uh, values that they come. I think a really good website, if anyone wants to kind of try to visualize how RX works, is rxmarvels.com, um, and that's a really good way to visualize these reactive streams and how the kind of data transforms over time. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really cool. Actually, the the RX Marbles we've kind of worked that same thing into our integration test for RxJS five. So our integration tests now all have these um, sort of ASCII art looking uh, marble diagrams that we use to to set up our tests, which is nice because you can kind of vertically align uh, to see what you think is supposed to happen 
and uh, verify that as opposed to having to write some really uh, kind of wonky code that says, you know, you know, emit this value at this timestamp and emit this value at this timestamp. Instead, you're able to just kind of use this little marble ASCII DSL thing to, to create a, a an observable. So you're basically probably cutting down a lot on your code, too, for just unit tests. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, in the, the talk that I'm doing later tonight, I'm going to have uh, a couple slides up about that specifically, just showing like here, here's a, a side win that we got out of this. Uh, the whole idea was... Um, Andre Stoltz uh, came up with that idea, and I believe he's one of the people that worked on um, the Arcs Marbles. And then uh, I, I had the fun part, though. I, I implemented it, so I was I was pretty pumped when I got it working. Um, but yeah, it's it's twenty lines of code to test. You know, hey, how am I going to merge seven different observables with some operator uh, versus you know a hundred lines of code to merge three observables with some operator? It's it's pretty uh it's drastically different and it's it's much much better to read like any anybody can come in with some limited uh training on what the uh, what the actual marble diagrams mean look at it and be like oh i get what this is it's you know I'm, i can visually see how the values are lining up so that's that's the that's a big one and we're actually i want to it's already being exported the the tools necessary to test your code this way but i Kind of like to have a separate npm package, and I'll be doing that here in the next week to allow end users to use the same techniques to do integration tests on their uh, on their Rx code. So that's awesome. Yeah, that would be very powerful. So promises have just hit the browser. Some people are just now getting around to it. You guys can get on the game to what promises are by now. Um, but what's the difference between a promise observables like pros and cons? Each? Uh, the difference, so the, the primary differences are that promises are one value, observables are any number of values. They're both async, right? Yes, they are both async. That was unnecessary. Yeah, <laughs> not purposely. Gratuitous. Gratuitous async. Thirsty. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, uh, a promise is a read-only immutable future value. Where an observable is more of a function that sets up uh, listening for future values plural. So you, in that, like a function can be called over again. If it, if whatever it's doing fails, if you have a handle to a function, you just call the function again. Same thing with observables. If an observable, if an observable fails or completes and you want to do it again, you can literally just subscribe to it again and it's there. So promises, on the other hand, they can't be retried or um, so that's one minor disadvantage. The, the nice thing about promises is promises have that future guarantee. Like if you have, a, if someone gives you a promise, you're roughly guaranteed, unless, you know, their code is implemented very poorly, that it's either going to resolve or reject. The, that actually becomes more of a, a foot gun when you're talking about modern uh, web apps, which are frequently single page. So you'll go to a view and then you'll leave the view and then you go back to the, a different view. And what happens is if you're using a promise API and you're saying, oh, go get this AJAX data for my first view, it says, okay, it goes and fires this request. And then before the request comes back, you decide, yeah, I don't care about that. I'm going to go back and go to some other view. Um, that promise is still going to resolve. And when it resolves, it's probably going to take this, this JSON, uh, whatever's coming over the, the, uh, AJAX request and it's going to, parse that into an object, and then after that you'll sig you'll 
it'll hit some signal that says, I no longer care about this. It's disinterest. And what that does is it actually blocks your thread while it's parsing that JSON. So, um, you know, that's, that's not really desirable in anybody's app, especially on an app that's maybe like a, on a resource constrained device or something, like an older smartphone or these smart TVs that we deal with. So an observable, on the other hand, is cancelable. So when you subscribe to it, it gives you a subscription. And you can call unsubscribing that subscription, and it will call some teardown logic that was defined in your observable. And with that teardown logic, you can do things like abort your XHR, your abort your AJAX request. So it doesn't, it, it, it's not even that it's like, oh, I'm disinterested in what's coming back. It's saying, whatever's coming back, I'm not even going to handle it. Uh, so it, it skips having to do all that processing of like the JSON parse. In that regard, I, I think that observable is a little bit better type for most situations. Uh, especially once you factor in all the composability with all the various operators and things in RxJS. Seeing that one of the like big advantages of uh, observables is being able to cancel it, what if Promises was had the ability to do that? Would you still need observables? See, now, one again, I'll go back and say one of the nicest things about Promises, actually, it's it's even called a promise, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's saying, I promise you that I will give you... That it will, it will finish. So, and they're immutable yeah. because of that. Now, if I was to suddenly make a promise cancelable, is it still a promise, right? Like, it could be a dirty lie. It's a failed promise. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's at, at that point, you know, what happens, and then there's some, like, I think that the spec is it for a cancelable promise, that if you have a promise and it does resolve, and then does resolve, and then later you cancel it, and you then try to then off of it again, you, you still get the value back. But to me, that's a little bit confusing. Like, what does that really mean, uh, canceling? Promise. It's a promise is a value. So you just cancel the value. What is that? No, it's a good point. Yeah, I think that was just, yeah, when you think of that as like being a super big advantage to that. Yeah, and I don't know if if that's a result of, oh, geez, there's this observable type now that supports this and people are using it a little bit more because it's a slightly better fit for, you know, a lot of the web UI use cases. And we should implement something like this, you know, so people want this type more again like if it's like some sort of um reaction to having this this cancelable type and observable i'd hope not because i really do think it kind of muddies that type quite a bit um promises have their place it's just that they're not like they're not the best solution for everything so i recently gave a talk called promise not to use promises which was just a giant troll right like i was just trying to get people to come to the talk but it was about observables. And in the talk, I, I railed on promises quite a bit, just for not, for not being very effective methods of flow control, right? Like, chaining promises together to try and get this basically simulated flow control that one can pretty well get out of the box with observables. Um, it's not, not a great idea. And Kyle Simpson pulled me aside afterwards and said, you're totally missing the point of promises. So one, first of all, he wanted to tear out of why, uh, Cancelable promises are a terrible idea, which is, I, I tend to agree with for that very reason. But promises are just that. They're the promises of future values. And it's pretty powerful to be able to call a NPM module or something like that, get a promise, and then pass it all around as you, you want to have that promise of a future value. And then later when you need something like flow control, you turn to something like observables or CSP or something like that, something that works on a, on a, on a bigger scale. 
So just like Ben was saying, I totally agree that they're not scratching the same image promises and um, observables serve different purposes. And you can kind of use one to model the other, but it's an imperfect abstraction. Uh, I mean, uh, promises, I think, also have some use in, uh, like, say, the iterator of promise type situation where you want some sort of back pressure control with um, individual values. And the back pressure control there, of course, is because iterators are lazy and, uh, you know, promises are async values. So, uh, <laughs> so you would... Uh, you would then, you know, say next, and then it's going to give you a promise, and you you wait for that to resolve and resolve, and you, for you to handle that, and then you can say next and give the next one. So you can't get backed up on the on the client side of that. But at the same time, you could have an iterator of observable, right? And and that's a little bit because observable doesn't have any real back pressure. It's just going to push values at you as quick as as you can get them. Rx Java observables do have that, but they're starting to call that global type, I think now and RxJava2, but what you can do for back pressure there is you can say, well, what if I want 100 values pushed at me at a time so I don't have that extra object allocation of a promise every single turn? Uh, you could do that with an iterator of observable, right? You could say, here's my iterator. You could have some generator that, that every time it nexts out gives you an observable of 100 things, and you just call that over and over. So it would work basically the same way. It just It's Fewer allocations per turn would be And it's important to note, like promises aren't going anywhere. Service worker API it, it uses promises extensively, but you have to know promises. Um, async await. Async await. Yeah. Catch API. Yeah. yeah. So promises aren't going anywhere. Observables are amazing, but it's probably good for async like iter iterators. Yeah. You did that one purpose. That. <laughs> well, that's also important. To it know. is important. That's coming forward, and it's going to be it's going to be pretty magical. If you go through the spec of async iterators, <laughs> they're pretty awesome. You guys picked a dangerous word. <laughs> it always it tends is. to be that. Last time it was the word tools, and it it came up more than we expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When talking about that's that's tools, yeah. Here. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So my main problem with uh, promises are, uh, and I'm sure we've all dealt with this, is error swallowing. You know, yeah. I don't know if you guys ever run into this, but anybody's done any promises where it throws an error, but it just leads back to the promise and not actually where the error came from, and it's aggravating as hell. Go on Twitter and look for it, and you'll see people just blowing up about it. How does observables, or specifically RSJX, handle that? Like error uh, because RX uh, and observable have like a terminus to your chaining, so you chain like map, 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 and you know, at the very end, you actually have to call subscribe. And because of that, there's an actual terminus to your chain where with the promise, it's then, 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 then. And any call to then isn't necessarily the last call to then, so you can't really tell where that's ended. In observable, you know where it's ended, which is at the subscribe call. And there, if there's an error that's not handled, it will just throw. So it'll actually like dump right, you can go to like window on error or or whatever and actually do a global error handle that won't catch that. And that's not true with promises, unfortunately, unless you go hook into whatever the special promise on error thing is for whatever environment you're in. It's different for Node versus um, versus the browser. So. Well, Chrome does now ship with a promise debugger. Yeah, I've used it. It's 
It's better than what was there. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Think about the implications of that, though. Like, you need a special debugger for, like, this native type. Yeah, definitely. Right? It's it's a thing. And, uh, I don't know. Actually, we ran into a really interesting bug in Rx, or because of promises. So, you can convert a promise to an observable. And uh, there's a call to from with a promise, or you can even use from promise to pass a promise to over the same basic code path. But what happens is you... Let me think of how this works. Ah. Whenever you say, give me an observable from this promise, and then you subscribe to it, and you actually err in your next handler, that next handler actually occurs synchronously within the then block of your promise. Okay. Because the internals of what this has to do, like when you're converting a promise to an observable, says, okay, return a new observable, then call promise.then, and inside of the then block, pass whatever value that you've gotten from your promises then into the into the next handler for your observable, right? And then that propagates on out. And if you do a bunch of synchronous stuff on the way out, and then subscribe, and in your subscription you throw an error in your next handler, that next handler technically synchronously occurs within your then block of the promise, which then traps it. Right. And it never it never actually globally throws like it's supposed to. So it's... it's uh, <laughs> It's a really, it was a really interesting bug. And the workaround there was to say, oh, well, I'm going to put a try catch inside of my then and then throw it like on the next micro task or throw it on the next uh, set timeout or something so I can actually escape. You can escape out of it. The, the error trap of promises. But yeah. It's very confusing. Imagine you're like, oh, well, I've got all of this code and I'm merging different observables and the one observable happens to come from some promise. And then you've got all this chained, you know, this chained stuff in there, and then error happens, and like you don't get any notification that the errors happened at all. Like you just, there's no rhyme or reason to it. That'd be so frustrating. It's pretty weird. (laughs) So I think one of the pain points I've had with RX and observables is pretty deep stack fixes of trying to bug things. Is there anything you guys are doing to make that a little bit easier in the newer version of RX? Yeah, the newest version of RX. So. The older versions of Rx defaulted to trampoline scheduling, and what that is is it says, oh, well, I'm just going to assume that at any moment someone could do something that's going to blow the stack, call 256 things consecutively for no reason. Uh, so what it does is it says, oh, every time I'm going to next out a value, I'm going to schedule that to happen in in the same frame, but uh, you know, as kind of the next call, it's going to tip it over. The same thing is like a microtask schedule, only before that, because it's actually happening in the same execution frame. And what happens whenever you do scheduling of any sort is you take your call stack that you're used to looking at, and you actually are knocking it over to the next uh, line. So you kind of miss some context in there, particularly when it's not on like a microtask schedule, because uh, Chrome, I don't think, can even pick it up if you have the, the, uh, the async testing um, checkbox check. Oh yeah, we mi- we almost missed one. <laughs> <laughs> so the the idea there is to try to make sure that we're limiting the number of function calls, um, and also we're using recursive scheduling by default. Recursive scheduling is no more. It sounds fancier than it is. Basically, it just means that you're calling functions from within functions just like you normally would. So if I say, "Hey, do this now," it literally does this like now. As soon as it can execute the code, it's when it's going to execute. Doesn't schedule for a next tick or anything. Okay. So we've talked a lot about like observables obviously being a really 
big important thing in Rx. What other features do you get by using Rx that uh, something like Lodash doesn't have? Um, well, I mean, the, the biggest thing is observables. Since observables can be any number of values over any amount of time, and they can set up and they can embody the setup and the teardown of any producer, they can really be used to model just about anything you could want to model in, in the world of computers. Like basically, I don't know that that's a good idea, but you could. Uh, <laughs> it's a possibility, right? Right. It's it's totally like you could literally have an application. It was just a big observable that you subscribed to, and inside of there, it was splitting off into like subscribing a bunch of, to a bunch of other observables and flat mapping into that stuff, and then coming back out to you could actually write an application like that. I've seen stuff like that uh, since getting involved in ArcGIS. I think it's a little nutty, but <laughs> if that's what people want to do. I mean, it's pretty cool, but it's like wow. I don't know many people that would be able to maintain this. Yeah, that you, you get that, and, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to do that with Lodash. I mean, Lodash is synchronously uh, dealing with iterable-type objects, mm -hmm. and because of that, there's, there's, no, there's no temporal nature to anything that you can do with those sorts of things. It's always going to be dealing with synchronous values that already exist in some, uh, in some array or some construct by the time you get it, where... You know, this is dealing with sets of things. Uh, observables deal with sets of things that might not have even happened. So that's uh, it's a really powerful tool. It also means that uh, you have a lot more operators, right? Um, so when you're when you're dealing with a basically a one-dimensional set, it's got length, and it's always going to be the same size. Basically, you've got a certain number of operators. But when you're all of a sudden dealing with a two-dimensional set, which is not only does it have length. But it has time involved. Um, the ways that you can kind of wrap your head around that are are much different. So, for example, like both of those things have take. Like I can take five of these values, right? But not like you can't do buffer with both of them, right? Mm -hmm. Like because buffer has, has like the idea. Of, I mean, you could. I don't know how it works with the synchronous <laughs> set buffering things. Like good for you, you busted this into <laughs> parts or something, but. Uh, buffering has the idea of some sort of uh, temporal, some sort of passage of time. Like over time, take these values and, and add them into some buffer. Um, you know, that's just one example, but there's so many more ways that you could you could slice an observable as opposed to what you can do with just a regular old synchronous set that you would do. That makes a lot of sense, actually. How would someone like? I know Ryan actually brought up the uh, good site for looking. Uh, at some of the documentation, but what do you recommend for someone like fresh into RX wants to get like started? What's how did they get started? I, honestly, I would get started the same way people get started with promises, uh, which is try not to worry too much about all the fancy operators yet. Like just take some take some async thing in your app and. Um, <laughs> Wrap it, wrap it in an observable and subscribe to it and use it. Just use it imperatively at first. Uh, and then, you know, take advantage of the fact that you can now unsubscribe from that thing later. And then as time goes on, you know, get more into like the map and the filter and, and especially the like merge, concat, and switch type operators, all of your merge strategy operators. 
Because once you get into that, then you're really able to start chaining these, uh, chaining these observables together and getting some really powerful stuff together with those things. Like if you're, then the other thing too is to, to look at really complicated, um, async activities like dealing with brush selection or, or, <laughs> or dealing, dealing with, uh, brush selection or dealing with maybe drag and drop. Um, multiplex web sockets, like anything where this is, this is actually kind of a complicated activity, uh, that deal with multiple forms of events and trying to like piece those together is a good, a good chance to try to do these things. But to start with, just use it imperatively, just see how it works, subscribe to an observable, take the subscription, you know, unsubscribe or dispose of it when you're supposed to and, and, uh, go from there. And observables are making their way into some pretty popular libraries and frameworks, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Angular 2 has been using a lot of RX5, actually. So cool. it's, it's uh, a lot of, if you even go on Stack Overflow, most of the questions around RX now are very Angular-centric, Angular 2-centric. So. I think that's how Promises got a lot of adoption pretty quickly, was from Angular 1 using Promises everywhere. Well, actually, you're probably a big influence on Angular picking up some of the observables, were you not? For, yeah, yeah. For Angular. Yeah, I, I had some friends in the team, and I, you know, kind of gave them the sales pitch. And uh, they didn't bite, so then I took Joffer there. <laughs> Joffer, if for those of you who have never heard Joffer Hussein speak, he is the used car salesman of... Uh, <laughs> I love it. He's very, he's very good. Like, he's very... Um, I don't even know how to describe it. I think that's sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I, I six dropper on them and, and uh, he helped me convince them. And then there was uh, there was obviously some online discussion with the community and um, trying to convince folks there. One one interesting thing is is kind of their main czar of that uh, and on the Angular team now, Rob Wormall. Originally. He was like, this is a stupid idea. Why not use promises? I swear, <laughs> that's a real thing. And, you know, there's like a a uh, Google group back and forth between him and I about, you know, here's why observables are a little bit better for single filters. What implementation is Angular using? Uh, the, it's RX5. RX5 observables. Yeah. I just said that. So it's, uh, it's the same, yeah. same one I've been working on. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just say async a couple more times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard rumors. So uh, Angular 2 is using observables. I've heard rumors that React in the future is going to use observables as well. So I don't know. I, I, I don't think that's true. Really? I've heard it from someone that works at Facebook. can't say who. <clears throat> So when I was at React Rally, which it's, it's Zuck, isn't it? It's Zuck. It's Zuck. It's Zuck. <laughs> He's out there talking. He about. just texted me right now. Yeah, I, I gotta do it. Hey, He's standing right outside the room right now, doing the the uh, cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> like, Jim, you're not supposed to mention this. Uh, you, this is confidence. He's probably gonna unfriend me on Facebook. <laughs> what I what I've been hearing from the React team is they're moving less and less from being truly reactive, right? Which is ironic given the name. And being more into scheduling rather than being reactive. Interesting. Yeah, that is actually really interesting. That's all I got. <laughs> no, that's, all, that's all I heard. <laughs> and you heard that at React Rally? Mm -hmm. Awesome. I also heard a React Rally that React is going to start moving to 
Well, they lied to you and they told the truth to me. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> which, well, which is really funny because yeah. both of you guys spoke at that same time. There's definitely so. some misdirection. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, I think that's not so bad. I, I do think that frameworks, uh, and I mean, I'm sorry, React's a framework. I know that people know it's just a rendering library. I agree with you there. It is like it's a framework. <laughs> yeah, I think like, you're splitting I, hairs either way. Yeah, right? yeah. I think that I think that uh, they do need to invest a little bit in scheduling because we've hit issues uh, in our React React apps on our team where we were we were we had multiple events that were uh, updating like state like calling set state back to back really quickly either on separate micro tasks or just even synchronous state like right there and it was actually causing like multiple re renders. So we had to implement our own scheduling. It was like, oh, well, when you call set state, actually just on this next micro task, do it. And then we'll batch all these things. Like, otherwise, it was really kind of becoming a bottleneck for performance for our app. So I think it's good that they're investing in that because they really need to. Yeah, definitely. So I had a shower bot the other day. My please please do. explain your shower thoughts. Uh, like, his own like, section at the end of the like he needs it's a uh, hashtag uh, just for that. Or yeah, <laughs> at the end of the episode, it's always like, "What's Gem's fa- like latest shower thought?" You know you're in the shower and you're. He's got the radio voice and Brian. Gem's shower thoughts. Oh, live from the shower, Gem. Here it is. I don't know if we want you live in the shower. I'm not joining you in the shower. Oh my god, I we're friends. Can we just do like shower sound effects? There we go. Add that in post effects. Add it post effects. But anyway, so, you, you know, you're in the shower, you have thoughts. Yeah. That's shower thoughts. <laughs> you know, you're not thinking about anything. But observable, like, uh, the pro- the chaining of functions is very, it's very functional, obviously. So, and I also see the rise of the past few years of functional versus object-oriented. Do you think uh, observable coincides with the rise of functional programming? Or is this, like, mm-hmm. independent thing that they tend to be coinciding with that? Uh, I think right now observable is driving a lot of, of functional programming. I don't know that, I don't know that one caused the other. Uh, the whole, I think the entire birth of observable for RxJS anyways, uh, has to do with, and this, I was talking with Matt Podoseki, actually has to do with a project, and I forget what it was called, but it was a project at Microsoft to, uh, make C Sharp compile into JavaScript. And so they wanted, yeah, isn't this, and it, like it's a failed project now, I think. But so they wanted, you know, all of these types as compilation targets for uh, C sharp, and C sharp had RX.net, and so well, why not just port exactly the same same thing over to RxJS? So we have this as a, a compilation. Mode. So like that clearly, if that's the case, then that type of observable, you know, and this is six seven years ago. Doesn't really have much to do with the rise of functional programming, but you know the popularity of it certainly certainly couldn't really prove. Um, so it, I don't know. I, it seems it seems like the whole functional versus imperative type programming right now is getting more tribal than it used to be. Like I I feel like people who really like imperative programming find um, functional programming or observable types as a bit threatening, and maybe it's just because I'm on like the front lines of that, or like I, people publicly know that I have something to do with that, so I get more of it tossed my direction, which I just kind of shrug my shoulders at usually, like, okay, go ahead and program however you like. But yeah, it's, I don't know, I, they seem kind of orthogonal, but you're right, they're probably, they're probably out there. So. And to what degree does Microsoft like solve a, a finger? 
access? Like, do they still do anything, or are they just like hand to you? Well, Matt messages me every day. I know that. Um, there, there haven't been a lot of. There's been a, there's been a couple of contributions to RCS five, uh, but a lot of it has been just me coordinating with with Matt Pawaseki and that sort of thing. Now Microsoft's TypeScript team has has actually been helping me out recently because RCS five is written in TypeScript, and we've we've hit some interesting boundaries with uh, the structural typing that TypeScript uses as far as the typings that are coming out of Rx slowing down build times. So we, we've gotten some fixes from them around that. They've also helped us push through a couple of features in TypeScript to support um, Rx, uh, Rx5's uh, operator patching that, that we do, um, which is a modularity benefit thing. What that is, is to, to give you the short version is, people don't really like the idea of having every operator on observable because that means if they use observable in like two operators, they have to bring in all the rest for like their bundle. So what we can do instead is say import observable. Now import Rx add operator map. And it actually that just the act of importing that will, uh, patch the, the prototype on observable. Um, which is, it's both cool and gross at the same time. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of that, uh, but it, sounds it's very effective. What's Ruby? that? Ruby? It sounds like Ruby to me. Yeah, it's it's the <laughs> other way to do it. The, the way I'm a bit, I'm a bigger fan of uh, actually importing observable and then importing the map method directly, and then with Babel you can use the ES. Um, well, it's not ES seven function bind. It's like stage one function bind proposal. Mm-hmm. You can actually use that in Babel, so you can just be like observable my observable colon colon map, and it just does it, and that's just desugars to map dot call observable and then you're like. So I like that much better because it doesn't make me feel dirty about, you know, mutating the prototype on observable, but mm-hmm. um I don't know if colon colon's gonna make the visual stack. There's a lot Shut of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It it does look nice though in the code, like just seeing it. It, it looks like, weird. No, I actually think it looks clean and you're like it makes a lot of sense. We yeah. should have another uh just, just like debating that. Stack, yeah. Like, what's good? What's bad? Well, I like that Ben's on my side, so yeah, <laughs> good. I call Ben on the next episode. Yeah. I like the, I like the, I like the pipe operator proposal too. I mean, if there's a world where, if, if let's say pipe operator made it, uh, I could see an argument for actually uh, making observable just be functions. Because if you had, if you're like, here's my function and it takes an observer, that's all that an observable really shakes out to. It, with a pipe operator, your map, op- or your map operator, your map function would be like map, and then the first argument would be your source observable, and then every argument after that would be the normal arguments you'd have for map. And that basically means that you can be like my observable pipe map, and then your projection function or whatever, and it, it ends up being very clean. And now you don't even need an observable type. You could actually just have observable be a function, because there's no, there's, there's no need to have to put anything on a prototype. You get that chaining effect. You just get the chaining effect regardless. Now, the part about that that doesn't quite work out is you still need to have the ability to make an observable into a subject. So it would have like a next and, and then, but, so the, the second piece to that would be if you had pipe operator and you could subclass function, which you can't do now. Right. I mean, think about the subclassing function would melt people's brains, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but if you could do those two things, 
And I could see a totally different uh, shape to observable down the road, where now you don't necessarily need an observable spec to pass through the TC39. You would, however, need some sort of observer spec, because observer has to provide certain amounts of safety. Like you, now It's not just that you can next air incomplete, but you, you shouldn't be allowed to next after it's air, for example. Mm-hmm. So there's there's like a certain amount of nuance to the observer that you're passing into it that needs to be provided. Um, yeah, I don't know. All of those things are all pretty far-fetched. Uh, yeah. I'll, I haven't been pushing JavaScript. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I haven't been pushing for object observe, observe for... That one's stalled. Yeah, yeah. It's actually been revoked. Though. Yeah, is oh, it really? actually gone, though? Object observe is just then. When can we expect to see RX uh, JS5 out production? Uh, I'd like to have it released in the next three to four weeks. Uh, the really, it's it's pretty stable right now. Uh, the real the real thing is that there's documentation. There's some minor organizational things where right now AJAX and uh, WebSocket functionality is included in the in the core. Um, Package and we want to bust those out to their own packages, so they'd be in the same repository still, just but you can actually like specifically call them if you need them, or right? And it's it's really just a minor organizational thing. It doesn't really matter that we're bringing it out, like we're you know sending those out with the same package. Not really, but yeah, it's just a purely organization. So that's that's the big thing. There's a there's a couple little bugs here and there, but I expect those to happen even after we. The production, but it's mostly production worthy anyways. We're already using it. Right, yeah. I think it's just more, I'm sure our listeners are like, hey, when can I jump on using it? And yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's pretty safe to jump on using it now. The, the shape of the thing isn't going to change. Awesome. Um, just minor issues. And, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. I guess, uh, I have a, you have one more question. less question? Is it about, any, is it about anything async? Ben's loving this. Drink your water. <laughs> ben is Ben is drinking water tonight because he actually he's about to do a talk on RxJS at, at Netflix tonight. So kind of, and he's got a bit of a cold. So. Yeah, I, I was I was really sick last night, so I I took some acetaminophen. I like my liver out of it. So yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. But you were still able to join us, which is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, Jim, finish her off with the last question. So Ben, you seem like an open. This is like you might be walking into something on this question. I mean, just get your, get your hand off my thigh. <laughs> it's true. What are your thoughts on the class syntax? Uh, well, I mean, if you look at RxJS five, the source code there, we're using class everywhere. Um, I think that a lot of people are are very up in arms about class or no class, like. Much ado about nothing. Like it doesn't really matter. Here's the thing: most of the engines are optimized for you to use classes. So if if using classes inside of your library gives you some benefit, of either organizationally because you're used to doing like C sharp or Java type programming, or performance wise because you're trying to optimize for you know running things in V8 or something, then use classes. I mean, who cares? <laughs> You know, I think that using classes for like an external API isn't always that great. For example, if I was to give you like, you know, here's my food class and you want to do something with it. Every time you, you want to do something with it, you have to use new food. And the, the problem with that is it breaks 
things a little bit for functional programming because you can no longer use call and apply. They won't work properly on your um, on your this this constructor type of function. So in that regard, you know, all of the classes that I have you generally have like a create static create function on them that does the work of doing up the value and returning it, um, just as like an external API thing. But yeah, I've got no I've got no problems. It's well set. I, I do have one more question too. <laughs> um, we, we've been talking about observables this whole time, but I know you've been investigating other async types. So, what, what can you tell us about other async types that you've mm. investigated, <laughs> and, what, and what do you like and not like? <laughs> you're just asking this because you, you know you're gonna have to I'm finish really, that. I'm really thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, I mean, there's there are there are some really there's some really in interesting ones out there. Uh, Yehuda Katz has one called Reference, and what that is is it actually exists as like a stream type in Ember, but um, or at least some form of it does. And what that is is it you subscribe to it and it push no pushes notifications at you that something has changed, but in order to get the value, you actually have to get. So like the act of getting the value is lazy. But the notification of the values change is, is push based. So that one's pretty interesting. The reason that one's interesting is if you're in a situation where, say, um, some process is updating a value very, very quickly, uh, maybe via mouse movements or something like that, but you, uh, want to render in request animation frame, then you can say, oh, we'll signal, signal that something has changed. No matter how many times it's signaled that something's changed, I'm only going to actually get the value and, you know, possibly compute things up some chain um, one time exactly when I need it. So that that's a kind of an interesting one. Uh, the other one is the Rx flowable type, which is like the Rx Java or the Rx Java one and Rx Java two that we call it Rx flowable. And what that is is an observable, exactly the same shape as observable, with one additional event that happens when you subscribe an on start event and it gives you the subscription and then you're required to request a certain number of values. So you say, I request 200 values and it goes up to your producer and says, give me 200 values. And then it pushes 200 values at you just like an observable as fast as it can. Um, and that one's really cool for, uh, like high speed back pressure scenarios where it's not, it's not so much that, oh, I'm not sure if I can process this at every turn. It's more like, I know I can process a lot, but I need some back pressure control. And you don't want to allocate a bunch of objects uh, where then the other one, which is the iterator promise, is going to allocate a promise for every single value. Right. So those are, those are the biggest ones that I know. Um, I was slow on that one. Those are the... Biggest ones I know uh, that I find very interesting. Channels are another interesting one, which is like the CSP. Um, those and I think the reference type are, are uh, they end up resulting in much more imperative looking code um, dealing with, with channels, partially because channels have this sort of um, put and get sort of uh, where you, you're actually calling, oh, put this across here and then await get this other thing that's gonna it's got like a venable it's not really a promise i think it's like a reusable venable that they end up using um just promise shaped uh but 
Yeah, that, that's another interesting one. For some reason, people keep taking that one and comparing it to RX. Like, I've seen that a few times. Like, so what do you think, CSP or RX? And it's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> who cares? Just pick one. Just one and go. Yeah, it's, I don't think one's necessarily better than the other. Channels have a nice two-way um, communication, uh, but, you know, at the cost of writing your code in a more imperative manner. Awesome. Well, I guess we can end the episode. Thanks so much for joining us, Ben. Uh, pleasure having you. Yeah, uh, okay. At the end of the episode, we've been doing picks where we just choose certain picks that things that either code related or anything that we've just been enjoying that we want to share. Um, so yeah, we'll go around the table and share those picks. Brian, you want to start off? Yeah. Uh, I want to tell you about my last weekend, last weekend. <laughs> <coughs> I saw in Hacker News there was a game called Factorio, which is like uh, Sim City, but you kind of like build a factory, and it is just, it's cracked from my engineering brain. <laughs> that like managing all these logistics and creating these products that then feed into other products that then feed into other products. It's the observable of games. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's really fun, but uh, venturing at your own risk because you will lose the whole weekend. But you're learning as you go. You're not losing. Shit. You're not learning. Shit, so. <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Okay, so my first pick is the uh, Vimcast's website. So if you're Vim curious or learning Vim, uh, these are small little digestible snippets of Vim knowledge. Uh, it's really good. I'm still going through them and learning a lot because I complete my transition to Vim. Um, the second one is the Ready Player One audiobook. So if you've read the, the book itself, um, I highly, highly suggest you listen to the audiobook. It's read by Will Wheaton, and the acting oh, nice. is amazing. Uh, so good. That's a great book. You have good picks so far. It's two weeks in a row. Uh, my pick this week is the ECMAScript proposals uh, GitHub page, which everybody, if you're a JavaScript engineer, you should go there and just like look at it every once in a while, see what's coming up, what's on the pipe, what's got canceled. Um, and it's good to stay ahead of the curve on things like this. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. It's something that's like important that we should be always staying to date. Yeah, just watch the repo. That's what I do. Yeah. There's a lot of noise on it, like meaning that there's like a lot of comments, pull requests, and issues and things like that, but. Um, that's how I stay abreast of what's going on in the JavaScript world. Then I talk to Jaffer, and he just talks about your off, which is awesome, too. <laughs> you, yeah, you get a lot of knowledge just by that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, ben, you have any picks this week? Yeah, I, I would uh, recommend that people go check out Egghead.io if they're at all interested in, in Rx. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, video content out there, most of which is free. A good, good chunk of it is free, actually. There is one uh, video that I actually did for them this last week that they released. It's, it's about 15 minutes long, and it shows how to build an observable, um, uh, starting with just a function that takes an observer. So it goes from there and then ends up actually with an observable class, and, and it's pretty functional. I don't, don't recommend taking that code and actually using it as, oh, here's my observable. <laughs> <laughs> ben Lesh said it's okay. No, don't, don't do that. But. So you're just demonstrating basically what right. the observable actually is. Right, yeah, and the, the goal there is to help people have a deeper understanding of what an observable actually does. So that's awesome. And that's that's cool. totally free on Egghead right now. So I'm actually gonna check that out. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Uh so for my picks, I actually wanted to pick one for the Netflix UI uh engineering YouTube channel. 
especially since Ben is speaking tonight, the video will be up on YouTube at some point, but all of our talks are up there, so it's definitely a good one to check out for previous talks that we've done. Yunong's talk is great. And actually, he did that one at Fluent as well. I don't know if anyone caught that, but it, it was really good. And then my second pick is the Amazon Echo. I was a little skeptical on it at first. Uh, my wife caught it, actually. She really wanted it. And it's pretty badass. The speaker in it's really good. And it's interesting to just integrate with like different things around the house. Things like if this and that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You got some hack day projects around there. Yeah, definitely yeah. some good hack day projects around that. <laughs> There's an uh, ex-Reddit Slack channel for everyone that used to work at Reddit. And one of my ex-coworkers has a Alexa trigger. It says, Alexa, tell Brian what's up. And it puts into the Slack channel, Brian, you suck. I saw it on Twitter <laughs> last night. I was like, that's an amazing one. It's pretty funny. So should I go home and create one for that, too? I guess you could. If, <laughs> if I need to be trolled across multiple Slack channels. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was at uh, Mishko Hevery's house around Christmas time. He's he's the guy that created Angular. And he was like, watch this. Alexa, turn on the Christmas tree, and the Christmas tree turns on. It's <laughs> the most ridiculous. Because <laughs> you're like, we have gotten to that point where we're that lazy, yeah. we can't reach to plug in a right, light. Right, right, right. Yeah. But it. why do that when you can just tell someone else to do it? Right. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do if you have a friend named Alexa? Like, how does it I feel like they make, her, to make her go turn on the Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need Alexa anymore. Like Amazon Echo is like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think you can change the name, but I, I feel like Amazon's probably chosen a name that's very abstract that not a lot of people have. But who knows? I don't know any Alexa. But you can change it to just be Amazon instead of Alexa. Oh, you can't change it to a custom one? Uh, uh-uh, it's only Amazon or Alexa. That's kind of lame. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Uh, well, that's it for our second episode. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Twitter at FrontEndHH. If you'd like to learn more from Ben about RxJS, follow him on Twitter at BenLash. Thank you very much.